Strange to be human again. Have you ever owed somebody big time? Have you ever owed somebody uh, such a cost, such a a value, uh, either monetarily or uh, an action that they took for you or took on? could never replace. You might be thinking about <coughs> times in your life when you've had you know, an individual or two or many step into that role for you and provide for you something that you could never replace. And, you know, it'd be cheating, but it would be true. Say, of course, well, we could think of our parents and what they have provided for us. We could never repay that. But outside of that, who else might be a person that you owe a great debt to? Maybe that person doesn't even know that you feel that way or that you experience that gift from them. You know, when I think about different times in my life, uh, Renee and I were talking on the way here about what different events have taken place and how people have interacted in our lives, and we have this great debt toward them, but there's just no way of paying. There's no way of putting a monetarily value on it or, or in any way paying it back. Uh, there was lots of different stories that came to my mind, um, but I, I remember one very big one was after my dad died, and the support that I got from different individuals was something that I could never repay from many of you, uh, monetarily helping us with the expenses of flying back to England and, and having to, to cover uh, things that were not planned. I remember my boss at the time paid for our plane tickets that we could fly and not have to worry about putting that on credit card and uncovering that. How could I repay those things? I mean, there's no way to repay them. So I'm sure we've all experienced moments like that, times in our life when we just couldn't repay what has been given to us. <coughs> and how does that make us feel? Are we okay with that feeling? Sometimes some people don't like to be indebted to somebody, right? They, they, they've got red on their ledger, and they want to they wipe it out. And yet, there are oftentimes ways that we cannot possibly repay. That's what this message today is about. That's what the Day of Atonement is about. Heard us talk about it earlier. And my message titled today, Jesus Paid It All. And there's no, no matter what facet of atonement you look at, Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. 
He is in every attribute and in every part of the Trinity. And He did it for us. And we cannot possibly repay what He's done for us. And that brings us to the kind of day that this is. Because it's a strange day. And when you tell people about what you do on this day, do they look at you a little odd? Yeah, they might. Are you sure you're not Jewish? Might be a question. And you you fast? Uh, do you eat in the evenings? Well, yeah, I should think so. But no, it's not a, like a Muslim fast. No, we, we fast for an entire 24-hour period. Huh. It's a strange day. There's also something to me that has always been strange about this day and really about how we practice this day which is the lack of ritual. Have you ever thought of that? We actually have very little in the way of ritual on this day. We come to church like we normally do, except it's on a Wednesday, or whatever day that happens to be. And, and we have church services, mostly like we normally do, except when you walk into the, the fellowship hall, there's no coffee and, and snacks. Yes, okay, bringing up the notion of food and drink on atonement is probably one of our issues. Because, you know, we cannot resist, right? But, but, but other than fasting, what else do we do? Nothing. And it seems strange to me. And has seemed strange to me for a long time. Especially when we consider what happened on this day in Israel and what God instructed Israel to do and specifically the high priest to do. A very ritualistic process with very specific things that have to be done and if you don't do it right, there are consequences for it. So we don't have any bread, we don't have any wine, we don't do any counting, we don't have a potluck, we don't blow a trumpet, although we, we could. Each day, each holy day has the trumpet blown, but who wants to do that with this dry mouth and lack of energy? And who would want somebody to do that with the headache that maybe about half of us are having right now? So we don't have many rituals on this day. And it is strange. And yet, as I said before, we find it full of ritual if we turn back to Leviticus chapter 16. It's full of ritual. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire or strange fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come in just at any old time. Don't come into this place into the holy place inside the veil any time and before the mercy seat which is on the ark lest he die for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat you, you probably remember the story right of, of uh, Aaron's two sons Nadab and, and Abihu and you know they decided to enter the tabernacle on their own uh, volition 
their own thinking, their own ideas about how to worship God, and they paid a price for it. They were they were killed. They were burnt to a crisp. They offered strange fire, inappropriate offerings to God in the holiest place in the tabernacle. Would we do that? Would we offer strange or unusual or different or inappropriate worship to God, offerings to God? I think we do do that at times. Because we like to worship God in the way that maybe fits our life. It isn't quite so demanding as the way that God demands. And, you know, we shouldn't think of ourselves all that different from Israel. What was one of the consistent complaints that God had toward Israel over and over again is that you worship me in the manner in which other nations worship their false gods. He does not like that. And yet, as human beings, we do. Because we want to choose how we worship God, how we offer our sacrifices to God. It's part of our human nature. Maybe it's out of our own pride. Maybe we think, well, if, if, if we do it a certain way, if we have a certain tradition and we, we follow this, uh, then, then God will just accept that and we won't maybe have to do something that's harder and more difficult. Our ways, our thoughts, our judgments stand before God, and we have to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes as the sons of Aaron did. So, with this experience, with what happened to Aaron's sons, you know, this is like the the divine version of this is why we can't have nice things, right? Because now you cannot just come into the holiest place. You have to now follow a very ritualistic process. And this is the reason that they had to follow it. God told Moses to tell Aaron in Leviticus 10, verse 3, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. must be regarded as holy and glorified. And we need to ask, why is that? And so, the same is for us. We are not to take the Day of Atonement lightly. We have to remember this day, its meaning, its sacredness, imagery that we have from the Word of God and what it stands for, we have to have attention and respect to this day. It's not just the last holy day of fasting before we get to the good stuff at Tabernacle. It stands on its own as a very critical day for us to worship and to sacrifice. So going back to Leviticus chapter 16, verse 3, God says this, Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place 
with the blood of the young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put the holy linen tunic. Uh, so you have put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban that he shall be attired. And these are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And we're going to get into this a little bit more. This is... This is a complex process, and we have to get things done in order. We can't be sloppy <laughs> with the things that God has given us to do here. The high priest, I mean, I don't know about you, but what, what would be running through your mind if you're the high priest and you're putting on these garments and you're doing these specific steps? I sometimes think I've left the house without the garage door open or closed or whatever the way it's supposed to be. So I'm like, did I miss step four or eight or 16? Am I going to get fried when I go in there? I mean, there's an intensity about this for us to pay attention to. There's meaning. There's lots of deep meaning, but there is also an intensity that we need to remember. Notice something else. Before the high priest can even begin to perform the atonement for the people. He has to perform an atonement for himself. He has to be cleansed himself. But then, it goes on. Because it also has to be for the tabernacle as well. And he has to make an atonement for that as well. And for his household. And it continues to grow in this atonement process throughout this ritual that he's performing. He has to be ritually cleansed even before he starts acting as the high priest. This raises a question in my mind. Did we do that for God? Did we sanctify ourselves before God today Did we prepare our hearts? Did we ready our hearts and our minds for this day? Or is it maybe a little more casual now because we're not going to get fried when we walk into church? Do we bring the same level of importance and sanctity and intensity that the high priest has? How did we sanctify ourselves today? Continuing on in verse 7, it says that Aaron shall take two goats and present them before the Lord, uh, before the Lord, the, uh, the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the scapegoat the, the the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. 
And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And shall kill the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself. A lot going on in this passage. You know, we can just pick at a few different uh, elements. This whole day of atonement is it's, it's defining to all of Christianity, isn't it? We get atonement theology from this. If this practice, this ritual didn't exist, we wouldn't have an idea of atonement. We wouldn't have an idea of the, the elements of atonement, of this restitution and of this removal. These two important parts of atonement, of restitution and removal, the sacrifice for the restitution, and then the removal of sins. Restitution for sins committed and the removal of those sins that damage us and cause us to sin more. Without these two factors, we wouldn't have atonement. And so we have one goat that pays the price. And then in a sense, we have another goat that pays another price and carries another burden. And that second goat, in many ways, that second role of the atonement process, it, it's just as difficult and it's just as challenging. Because it's the removal of our sins. It's the taking away of the, of the hurt and the woundedness of the guilt and the shame and everything that comes with our sin. It's a process of healing that is symbolized in this second goat. Just as the psalmist told us in Psalm 103, verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. How high is the heavens from the earth? billion light years? The heavens, the starry host, the whole heavens is how far from the earth? That's how far God has removed our sins from us. And then, in verse 14 of that, of, uh, of Psalm 103, it says, for he knows our frame Remembers that we are dust. He knows who we are. He remembers our weaknesses. He set this process of atonement in place because he just knows how much we are going to need it, that we do need it, that we continue to need this atonement process in our lives. And he certainly remembered that Aaron was dust as well. He instructs him to create a cloud a cloud of incense to hide within from the brightness and the, the power of God as he sits on the mercy seat. Back in Leviticus 16 and verse 12, it says, Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, which is which his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and shall bring it inside the veil. 
and he shall put <coughs> the incense of the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony. Blessed be God. How does that feel to you if you were the high priest and you're going into this holiest place and the only barrier between you and death is this cloud of incense. How would that make you feel? It's a very serious moment, isn't it? He's not going in there lightly. And I can imagine that every time Aaron went in there, he remembered his two sons. What would that have been? Sensor that that fire, that smoke, that incense as a protective shield. And this imagery, as it comes down to it, is that it it made me think of the Holy Spirit. This spirit wind, right? This spiritual wind of God that we have in us. It's very much to me like the incense that that Aaron puts in the holiest place. It's almost as though Aaron's creating a physical representation of the Spirit of God being that intercessor, that protector, that shield for us. In Romans 8, verse 26, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. He remembers that we are dead. He remembered that Aaron was dead. He knew that he needed a shield, something to protect him from the power of God, from the holiness of God. Paul says the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit of God acts like this medium by which we can communicate with God through we can commune with him and be in his presence and not die. Turning back to Leviticus 16, verse 14, it says, He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. I wonder, of the sixth time when he's sprinkling, he thinking, was that six or seven? Right? I mean, this whole thing would scare me to death. I don't think I would make a good high priest. He'd be wondering whether or not I've done all the right things. He's going through this very ritualistic process. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, and do with that blood as you did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat, so he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting if he goes 
to make an atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may be make an atonement for himself, for his house, and for all the assembly of Israel. Again, there's so many rich parts in here. We just kind of have to pick out of this atonement theology what uh, what makes most sense and maybe most impactful. But one of the things that jumps out to me is, is it's a strange thing that's happening here because apparently in the holiest place of all where God himself is present, there is sin. There are transgressions. Did you pick that up? He said, so he'll make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Even the holy place has to have restitution. Even the holy place has to be redeemed, has to be atoned for. How can that be? How can God dwell in a place that is always sin? dwell in this place where there is transgression and sin and failure. And yet he does. He doesn't leave. He doesn't say, right, that's it. The sin of the children of Israel is even coming to this holy place. I'm done. I'm out. He doesn't say that. He, in fact, already gives us this process, doesn't he? He's already set in store that this is going to happen and so, Aaron has to make an atonement for the holiest place of all, where God dwells. He makes an atonement even in that holy place. It's almost as though the tabernacle and the, ho- the holy place, the holiest of holies, is this big collection. I mean, how does the sin get in there? Think about that. How does the sin get into this holy place? They only go in there once a year, right? How does it get in there? It's, it's almost like it just sin finds its way into the holiest place. Does that sound familiar? Does that feel familiar? Because this is the kind of challenge that we have about God living and dwelling in us. This tabernacle. Dropping down to verse 20, he says, And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place, and the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions concerning all their sins putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on himself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Powerful imagery again here. And I don't know, I mean, I don't think anybody's done this, right? Those of you that might have a farm with goats, 
But see, she put the sins on there and carried it off to the neighbor's house. But there is something very cathartic and healing and powerful about a ritual like this. When I was at a men's retreat in Colorado, a part of the practice of that retreat was uh, earlier in one of the sessions, you would write out, uh, I think it was you would write out a, a point of shame or failure or, or some struggle that you have in your life or to having in your life. And you would write that out. And then later after the session, when everybody's gathered around this huge big bonfire, you could either read it out or just throw it in to the fire. And some guys would read theirs out. Some guys would not read theirs out. I was a not read theirs out kind of guy. But you threw that in there. And it was healing. It was something that, that helped your mind and your heart realize this is being taken away. This sin is being removed. This brokenness is being removed. And that's what's going on here. To the whole nation. That's what's happening. And they can all see as that strong man is taking that goat through the temple. But you see, their sin is being taken away. They can have a visualization of the healing that God brings every year at a time by the goat. Then dropping down to verse 29, it says, This shall be a statute forever for you in the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, <coughs> at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest <coughs> shall t- make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean of all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. Okay, God, we got it. That's twice now you said, don't eat. Or did he just say afflict your souls? There is a difference. Because, you know, sometimes maybe we have a medical issue and we need to still take our medication. God does not want us to die in the process. It afflicts the souls. And a priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as a priest in his father's place shall make an atonement. So from one priest to the next priest to the next priest, this continues every year. Because that's how merciful God is. He wants to take our sins away. Oh, you sinned again? I'm going to take those away again and again and again throughout our generations. Then he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar. He shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. And so they did. They did these things year after year. 
until they didn't. Until they fell away, until they forgot, until they rejected God and went after idols. But for us, we have this rich, beautiful, deep ritual and meaning to draw from and to look at the different aspects of atonement in our life. And that is why we are supposed to continue to do it year over year over year. And yet today, unlike the high priest, we don't have anywhere near the ritual that we have. We don't have anywhere near the risk of death from doing those rituals. Praise God. And I feel like death by about 7 o'clock tonight. But that isn't a real danger, is it? And yet, we still keep this holy day, but without the rituals. And I mentioned at the beginning, I just wondered why we don't have more rituals, why we don't do more things. This day isn't about you. This day isn't about me. This day isn't about what we do. This day isn't about taking actions, taking on different foods or drinks. That's not what this day is about. It is about the complete opposite of that. This day is about realizing and understanding we can do nothing. Nothing. There is no action that we can take. There's no law that we can follow. There's no ritual. There's no confessional. There's no special practice that we can follow at all that takes our sin away. That brings about this restitution and the removal of the sin so easily besets us. Atonement is the only day now without ritual. That's the biggest part of this lesson, I think. But it's like that old hymn. It tells us, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, you do, not in your religious practices, not in the righteousness that you find walking. Find in me your all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Washed it. Washed it. The truth is, It's always been the case when it comes to atonement. You see, the, the high priest did everything in atonement. There was no other person involved. Remember, it said not even a, a man could be in that holy place when he performed priesthood. 
And it's interesting that it says it like that because Aaron was a man. And it says there shall be no man in there. Almost as though he is becoming the one who really pays it all. Who really does it all. As the high priest representing Jesus Christ. There's no other person involved except maybe the runner that takes the goat and ensures the goat doesn't come back into the camp. Because you can imagine this bunch of superstitious people that just left Israel, and here comes the sin goat running right back through the camp again. I think they might freak out. And so would we. We don't like it when people come along and remind us of our sin, right? Of our failures, our weaknesses. We want it taken away. Gone forever. Jesus paid it all. Everything was done by the high priest. All the sanctification was done by this one individual. There's nothing that anyone in this building can do. There's nothing that we can do. But there is one who's done far more. Far more than we can ever repay. He stands for us every moment every day. He makes intercession for us continually every moment of every day. He makes an atonement for us all the time. He is our atoning, sanctifying sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews tells us he brings the fullest manifestation of atonement. He brings the fullest, most complete version of atonement. But before we go there, I want to remind us of what Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verses uh, 15, starting in verse 15, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. Paul further reinforces this idea, this new idea that we are the dwelling place of God. We are the tabernacle. Then that inside of us is the holiest of holies. How can that be? How can sin and God dwell in the same tabernacle? 
It always has. From the very beginning, it always has. We saw that earlier, that the priest has to make an atonement for the sin that was in the dwelling place of God. That is us. So, can we say that we're the one that God cannot save? No. Can we say that we're beyond redemption? Can we say that there's no atonement that can redeem us? this struggling, striving, overcoming believer that is trying to endure this world and be the tabernacle of God at the same time. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. We are this dwelling place. We are the place where atonement the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So as we look at these rituals, all the things that the high priest did and all these practices, we have to fully expect that Jesus has done all these Is there some small part of us that says, well, by obeying God's commandments and by keeping the holy days, I have attained what? A tabernacle of sin. That's what we've attained. Because you know what? Israel, at least for a while, kept God's holy days. They kept the commandments. Still, sin entered into tabernacles. There is no actions that we can take to remove that. Paul puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. He says, Now when these things had been prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Hmm. What is that? The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle talking about some other place, some other holy place, some holiest of all place. And while the tabernacle stood, it wasn't obvious to anyone what place that was. Can I say, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances opposed until the time of the Reformation. But Christ came as high priest to the 
good gifts is the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this cedar. What is that? What tabernacle is there that is not of this creation that Jesus makes an atonement for and cleanses and redeems? it does. He keeps saying, this is us. We are the temple of God. We are created by Him as His dwelling place. We're not made with hands. What did David say? That you have knitted me together in my mother's womb. God has made us as His dwelling place. We are a tabernacle of His creation, not of the world's creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. Again, bringing his own blood into the most holy place. Where is that? That is in our hearts. That is in us. When you realize that God looks at you as the most holy place, He looks at us. We are a holy place. He's dwelling within us. How can that be? How can my brokenness and my sin be in this same holy place where God dwells? It always has. It's always been part redemption he brings. He makes an atonement for us. Just as the high priest made an atonement for all the wickedness of the people, all their brokenness, all their sin. He makes it for us in this holy place. Nothing we can do. There's nothing the tabernacle could do to make itself holy. Just have to be there. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, our hearts and our minds, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats, ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant. The new covenant. Not the old one. We are in a new covenant. We're not in an old covenant of of trying to be righteous by our own efforts and then still failing. And God in His grace giving that that atonement to the old covenant. We're in this new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So what's really going on here? 
atonement for us. Of holiness and sin always to occupy this same space? Is it always to be the struggle of God dwelling in us and we still missing the mark? No. Because it happened atonement. Atonement brings that hope. Atonement says that this place is cleansed. We are redeemed and we are clean. The sins are removed. The damage is removed. The brokenness is removed. And we are healed. They say there is a process of sanctification. But it is worth it anyway. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, For the law having a shadow <coughs> of the good things to come and not the very image of things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would, would have ceased to be offered. Those things couldn't make us perfect, couldn't make them perfect. Otherwise, why continue it? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. A burnt offering and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of your book that is written of me to do your will, O God. So Jesus said all the time, I have come to do the will of my Father in heaven. And that will is not for goats and bulls and burnt offerings and sacrifices. We have to do that because of our sin. We have to do that because of Israel's brokenness. That's not what he wants, though. What he wants is Christ in us. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. He took away that first covenant and that old ritual of atonement and replaced it with the new atonement. All this complex and rich meaning of atonement that we would use today is just a representation of what Jesus Christ is doing in our hearts. Jesus completed all these things. Paul said the blood of animals could not take away sin, and we know that. It's just a symbol for the work of Jesus Christ. Completed the shadow, the full atonement in us. He paid it all, as I stated earlier in the hymn. But he's doing something else now doing something that is new, something that couldn't be done in the Old Covenant. He's doing something that is only part of the New Covenant. And Paul continues, he says, By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, that once atonement. And every high priest Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, 
which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected. By this one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Do you realize what that's saying? You are holy. You have been perfected. Now, all that is continuing to take place is a process of sanctification, a removal and a restitution, continually, daily, until he considers as a completed work, until he is ready to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You realize he does it all. He perfects us. He sanctifies us. We have to just let him do that. The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Why? Because they've been taken as far as the east is from the west. As high as the heavens are from the earth, they are gone. So far that God forgets them. He's never going to say, hey, remember when you did that thing? Sean, you remember when you said that thing to Matt? You really hurt his feelings? He's never going to bring anything up because they're gone and we have been perfected and we will be completely sanctified. Atonement is a process that is continuing day after day, done once for all, but sanctifying us continually. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. No more sacrifices are needed. Jesus paid it all. Jesus atoned for us. There is no ritual we can perform, no action to just get right. We have to let him do the work of sanctification. His work, his part in atonement. If we're not resisting, if we are open to him, he will guide us, he will teach us. If we open our hearts and our minds to him, we will hear his voice. We are willing to let him complete his work in us, and he's going to bring about that sanctification. He will make us holy. We just have to stand, just like all the people of Israel. We just have to stand and watch as the high priest does it all. If you would, would you rise with me as I say a closing prayer?
and then we're going to sing a hymn together. Eternal Father, we, we just come to you before you on this sacred day, this holy day that you have set apart to be remembered throughout all generations. We come before you to confess that we have broken your commandments, that we have fallen short of the mark that you have set. We have sinned. We have sinned out of weakness, out of emotional spiritual brokenness, out of fear, out of shame. You know each of our hearts, Lord. You know in all, you know in all the ways that we have fallen short. You are familiar with all of our weaknesses and our pride, our excess, our doubt, our anger, our lust. These things are not hidden from you. You know our innermost being. You have established your tabernacle within us. You have placed your name and your spirit within us. And throughout this past year, we have struggled. We have striven. We have overcome with you and by you. Sometimes we've overcome and sometimes we have failed. And sin has entered into this holy place. We confess this, Father. Lord Jesus, we also confess that there is nothing that we can do to remove these sins. Nothing that we can do to clean ourselves, to sanctify ourselves. Even in this earthly tabernacle where we live with you, it is beyond our ability to clean it beyond our ability to restore and redeem ourselves. And so we confess here now, as we stand before you with nothing in us, no food, no water, nothing in our hands, nothing in our power to do or to take away. We confess you are our high priest. You are our Savior. And there is no other Savior but you. There is no other way in which we can be cleansed and restored. We stand here and simply watch the salvation that you are working within us, within the holiest place, this tabernacle that you have made. We watch as you have sprinkled the mercy seat of our hearts with your own precious blood. We just watch you, Lord, our high priest, perform, perform our atonement. You pay a bill.